Job. Take out your Bibles. If you don't have one, grab one from under a seat in front of you there. Book of Job, we are in chapter 18. Job, again, if you've been with us as we've been going through this um, tragedy, everything taken from him, now even physically um, covered with boils, head to toe, open wounds, sitting in the garbage dump in the city. The only relief he can get is taking ashes from the burning area around him, rubbing it on these open wounds that he has, worms, and it's just, just beyond what we can imagine. And then scraping himself with broken pottery that is there. And he has three friends that have come, traveled a great distance to come to him. And we've been discussing their their conversation as they've been having this. And um, again, we got to cut them a little bit of a break, these guys. They did travel a long way to come to see him. They're, they're sitting in the garbage dump with him and, and talking with him. But as we've been talking about this, the, the, the counsel that they're bringing him, they're assuming that because he is suffering, that there's wickedness in his life. They, they're their continuing mantra, if you would, the broken record that just keeps going on and on and on is God blesses those that are righteous. He punishes those that are wicked. Job is suffering, therefore he must be wicked. There must be sin in his life, unconfessed sin in his life. And, and that he's hiding this. And if he would just simply confess his sin, repent, everything could be restored and everything would be great. Problem is, we know after reading the first couple of chapters, that's not what's going on. As a matter of fact, Job was a righteous man. Job was, Job was a, God was even bragging on Job up in heaven. And this is all because of uh, a challenge Satan made. And again, we don't have time to go back through it all. But that's where we find ourselves. And we mentioned last time when we were starting in verse 15 or chapter 15, round two begins. The friends are now taking another round at him because they're, they're bringing these accusations, telling him that this is what they must, he must do. And then Job is responding. And we, Job has now had a response again in chapters 16 and 17. Interestingly enough, uh, as Pat was beginning here tonight, he says, you know, we're in Job and that makes me think of, you know, and, and that is true, right? When we think of Job, we think of suffering. We think of patience. I mean, James tells us that, you know, the patience of Job. Those are some of the things that we think of when we think of Job. And he even commented on that back in verse 6 of chapter 17. But he has made my name a byword of the people. <laughs> you mentioned Job. But those are the things that you think of because of what he has gone through. Little did Job know, or we'd be thousands of years later still thinking the same things. But So he responds in chapter 16 and 17, now Bildad gets his second shot in at Job. Then Bildad, the Shuhite, responded, how long will you hunt for words? Show understanding, then we can talk. <laughs> he, how long are you going to keep trying to come up with new ways to defend yourself? You're saying the same thing, Job. You know, Show understanding, then we can talk. Embrace what we have. He's basically accusing Job. The reason we keep going around this bush is because of you, Job. <laughs> Not realizing that it's them that's keep, that keep running around the bush, the same thing around. Why are we regarded as beasts, as stupid in your eyes? If you'll remember back in chapter 12, Job gave reasons why. He gave exhibits, if you would, 
examples of what, that their story doesn't hold water. It's not just as, as things are good, they're blessed, and if things are wicked, that suffer. And he used the animal kingdom as one. He said, go talk to the animals. They suffer, and they didn't do anything wrong. And, and, so, he's, and it, so there's this comment that comes here. And again, they're, they're not buying it. They're going <laughs> to... They're going to come right back at him. Oh, you who tear yourself in your anger, for your sake is the earth to be abandoned. Or for your sake is the earth to be abandoned or the rock to be moved from its place. Quit being angry. Quit being unreasonable. You expect God to change all the rules just for you, Job? I saw this definition today. I, kind of, I thought it was kind of interesting when thinking of these, these guys. It says, a fanatic is someone who can't change their mind and won't change the subject. <laughs> and that's what we see in these three guys. They, they, they refuse to accept the fact that Job might be an innocent, righteous man, that there might actually be another reason for this. And we've talked about that because the fear that they have is that that would, make, that would take God out of their understanding box. And if I can't fully understand God, if this could actually happen to a righteous, innocent person, that would mean is if I'm checking all the boxes, something bad might still happen to me. And they're not willing to embrace that. Now, Bildad, we've talked about some of the different tactics that they have used along the way. Bildad is going to try the scare tactic, if you would now, the fear tactic, try to, if you pardon the expression, scare the hell out of Job <laughs> in what he's trying to do here and trying to get, convince him of this. Verse 5, indeed, the light of the wicked goes out. Now here again, this word, he's using the word wicked, and he talks of this like in the third person, but we know what he's trying to say. Job, you're wicked. Indeed, the light of the wicked goes out, and the flame of his fire gives no light. The light in his tent is darkened and his lamp goes out above him. His light is, his life is extinguished, if you would. His vigorous stride is shortened and his, one, his own scheme brings him down. For he is thrown into the net by his own feet and he steps on the webbing. A snare seizes him by the heel and a trap snaps shut on him. A noose for him is hidden in the ground and a trap for him on the path. Basically saying, you can try to run from this, but it's going to catch up to you eventually. You can try to think that you're going to get away with this and, and try to set a trap for us, but that trap you're setting is going to eventually catch yourself. Now, as we've talked several times, there is truth in the things that these men are bringing, and there is truth in what is being said here. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived. Proverbs chapter one says this, beginning in verse eight, hear my son, your father's instruction. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. Indeed, they are great, a graceful wreath for your head and ornaments around your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us and let us lie in wait for blood, let us ambush the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them alive in Sheol, even whole as those who go down into the pit. We will find all kinds of precious wealth and we will fill our houses with spoil. Throw in your lot with us. We shall have one purse together. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your feet from their path. For their feet run to evil and they hasten to shed blood. Indeed, it is useless to spread the baited net in the sight of the bird, but they lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush their own lives. 
so are the ways for everyone who gains by violence. It takes away the life of its possessors. And there's truth in that. Those, those that would take the life of another or take from, take from others and live by that, they don't get away with that. They might get away and beat the legal system, but man, you just see it over and over again. I just heard it again recently that one of the lawyers, even defense lawyers, that are t- their job is to get their, their clients off, even if they know they're guilty. The statement that they have kind of around them is nobody gets away with the big one. Speaking of murder and, and that, is they might get off in the court system, but it always comes around. It always seems to come back around. And, and bottom line, there is truth to that. There's truth to sin will find you out. You can get away with it for a little while. You might think that, but tormented. And, and so what he's saying, there is, some, there is some truth to what he's saying. Problem is, again, like we've talked about, you got to make sure that the message is right. The person you're giving the message to is the right one to receive it, as well as the motive behind the message. One of love, one of restoration. And certainly, as we continue to read through and we see this over and over, there's, there's not a whole lot of love as it comes. Verse 11, all around terrors frighten him and harry him at every step. And again, truth to that, you're running from things, you're thinking you're getting away with it, but those that are, are guilty in those areas, you know, they, they always have that fear that they're going to get caught, that something's not going to work out that way, and it's just right there. Again, Proverbs 28, verse 1, the wicked flee when no one is pursuing, but the righteous are bold as a lion. The wicked, the wicked run away when, when no one is pursuing, which, by the way, is a good reason not to jog. But the righteous are as bold as a lion. If you are truly innocent, you have nothing to worry about. But to think that you're going to continue to get away with sin in your life, again, very, very truthful. But again, problem, this isn't speaking to Job. His strength is famished and calamity is ready by his side. His skin is devoured by disease. The firstborn of death devours his limbs. He is torn from the security of his tent and they march him before the king of terrors. There dwells in his tent nothing of his. Brimstone is scattered on his, and his habitation. His roots are dried below and his branches cut off above. Memory of him perishes from the earth and he has no name abroad. He is driven from light into darkness and chastened from the inhabited world. He has no offspring or posterity among the people, nor any survivor where he sojourns. There is the wet, those in the West are appalled at his fate, and those in the East are seized with horror. Again, just the, trying to scare him through this as to what awaits him if he doesn't. But here, verse 21, surely such are the dwelling of the wicked. And this is the place of him who does not know God. Wow, again, and just a a, a pretty, uh, pretty bold assumption that he is making here. Because we know Job is a man who not only knew God, but worshiped and followed him. Well, chapter 19, Job now responds. How long will you torment me? And crush me with words. Crush me with words. Words are very powerful. 
You've heard that saying, right? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. You know who says that? Hurt people. That the defense mechanism doesn't work. Words can can tear down. Words can destroy. And especially somebody in a situation like, like Job is in, very vulnerable. What Job needs is somebody that is encouraging, that is coming along. And as we've talked, yes, is there... Is there uh, a need to address sin in someone's life? Certainly, if, if that's an issue. But it needs to be done in the right way. It needs to be done, again, with the, the right words. The, he says, how long are you going to crush me with your words? And we, as we've seen over and over again, so many are <laughs> brutal. And we're going to see even more with that. But... Paul challenges us in Ephesians. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. You want to know what God's will is? He's going to tell us right here. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Words can tear down or they can build up. Words can, can crush or they can, they can encourage. And we are called, again, we talked of this, this this past weekend. And Paul's, again, in, in Galatians, he says, you know, even if someone is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, you who are strong, restore in the spirit of gentleness. Restore, yes. Go alongside. And, and it's not that sin is to be dismissed, but coming along in a spirit of gentleness. Jesus Jesus, again, gives us, gives us instruction on how we're to do this. They're very judgmental, would you not say? <laughs> Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged, and by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye do not, and do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye and behold, the log is in your own eye, you hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Are we called to take the speck out of our brother's eye? Yes. But we need to see clearly first. Deal with the own issue in our own eye. And I, when we see that, and we said, then you'll see clearly to be able to help. Just like Paul said, in a spirit of gentleness. I don't think it's any coincidence Jesus talked about a splinter in our eye and not our finger. Because our eye is very sensitive. It takes, it, you need to be gentle when you're dealing with, with an eye. And then again, you hypocrite, how do you want somebody to deal with you? <laughs> and that's the problem over and over with these guys. We touched on that, I believe it was last time. Job said, it's easy for you to say the things you're doing in your seat. Put yourself in my situation. And then talk to me like, like you'd want to be talked to. I think why the golden rule is so golden. These, 
Verse three, these 10 times you have insulted me. Now it's not 10, meaning the number 10. It's kind of an idiom for over and over and over. You keep insulting me. You are not ashamed to wrong me. Even if I have truly erred, my error lodges with me. (laughs) Even if, and that word error, literally it is, and we think of that, right? Error is unintentional. It's not, even if I have done something unintentional, and that's, he keeps crying out to God, show me what it is. But his bottom line statement with this, even if I have sinned unintentionally, that's my issue. (laughs) Why do you keep making this such a personal thing with you? If indeed you vaunt yourselves against me and prove my disgrace to God, know then that God has wronged me and has closed his net around me. If what you're saying and all of this is true, then, then what you're, you're putting God on trial with this. We have to be so careful about what our, what our words might even implicate. Behold, I cry violence, but I get no answer. I shout for help, but there is no justice. He has walled up my ways so that I cannot pass. And he has put darkness on my paths. Now, we, we know that God's hand didn't directly do this to Job. We know that. He's allowed it to happen, however. And there are times in our walks, in our, as Christians, that God will allow, or even with his own hand, that it'll, there will be a time of darkness. There will be a time of, of questioning where we're not quite getting the answer that we want, or we're not getting an answer. And when that happens, guys, don't try to manufacture your own light. Don't don't go to other places to try to get light. Stay right where that is and just wait on the Lord. There's a reason why he hasn't illuminated the next step. I, I don't know if there's anybody else here that's impatient, but I struggle with that. I'm not, patience isn't my long suit. And there's often times where I'm waiting on something and it's like, Lord, you're, you're not answering. It's, it's, not, it's not quick enough. It's, you know, I, I feel like I'm in this dark spot and I need an answer and I need it now. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna look somewhere else. And guys, I've been challenged even in this, a, a book that I'm reading right now. That is idolatry, plain and simple. I am a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's my Lord. He's my King. If he's not telling me what to do next, I need to sit and wait. Because if I go somewhere else, if I look somewhere else, if I try to manufacture my own light, that's idolatry. Isaiah chapter 50, verse 10. Who is among you that fears the Lord, that obeys the voice of his servant? that walks in darkness and has no light. Let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God, even if it gets dark. Behold, verse 11 says, Behold, all you who kindle a fire, who encircle yourselves with firebrands, walk in the light of your own fire and among the brands that you have set ablaze, this you will have from my hand, you will lie down in torment. Again, speaking along those same lines, if you're going to try to manufacture and do this yourself, you're going to get burned. (laughs) Wait on the Lord. And I think, again, Job is a great, 
Great example of this. He could have followed this advice, this light that his friends are trying to give. And if he would have done that, Satan wins this battle. Verse 9, again, Job continuing to respond, he has stripped my honor from me and removed the crown from my head. He breaks me down on every side and I am gone. He has uprooted my hope like a tree. He has also kindled his anger against me and considered me as his enemy. We've, he's said these types of things over and over again. It's not true. But one of the things that I appreciate about this as we read it is here we see him, a righteous man, a man of God who goes through feelings like this. God understands. Even though it's not true, he's wrestling with his, his emotions, his flesh. Verse 12, his troops come together and build up their way against me, the idea of a siege ramp, and camp around my tent. Now, I don't know if he was trying to be sarcastic there, but the sarcasm is there, it sure seems like to me. He brings his whole army, puts a siege, you know, builds a siege ramp, if you would, around my tent. If you've, if you've been to Israel, you've seen what? We go to Masada, up on top of Masada, this mountainous fortress that Herod built. And the Jews fled up there. A small group of them fled up there when the Romans, you know, after 70 AD, and the Romans pursued them there and actually built all the way around. They put up their fortresses as they're waiting, and they built this siege ramp all the way up and eventually broke through um, up at the top. So you, this long build-up siege ramp around my tent, <laughs> Job says. It seems like a little overkill. God is just like pouring out on me, and I think that's what he's trying to say with all of this. If there is something that is unintentional that I've done, this seems a little excessive to be dealing with this with everything that has come against me. Kind of like that annoying fly that's buzzing around you and you, you know, you're in your, in your office at home and the way you deal with it is to throw a grenade in the room. It's a little excessive for what, what the issue is. Now, verse 13, one of the, commentaries I looked at today was talking about it. This is like the Job reaches the bottom, if you would, as not, not in addition to everything else. Now he's, he's starting to feel the absolute loneliness as to, as like everybody has deserted him in this. He has removed my brothers far from me. My acquaintances are completely estranged from me. My, those close to me, my brothers, they've left, but the people that just you know, that I had acquaintance with there, they're totally gone. My relatives have failed. My intimate friends have forgotten me. Those who live in my house and my maids, my maids consider me a stranger. I'm a foreigner in their sight. I called to my servant, but he, who, but he does not answer. I have implored him with my mouth. My breath is offensive to my wife. That's not anybody's life verse there. <laughs> and I'm loathsome to my own brothers. Even young children despise me. I rise up and they speak against me. He's become the scorn of, of kids, probably making jokes at him. All my associates abhor me. And those I love have turned against me. My bone clings to my skin and my flesh. Basically, he's, he's down to just skin and bones. I have escaped only by the skin of my teeth. He's, 
hanging on, on to life by, by that thin a margin. And then he cries out to these guys, pity me, pity me, oh, you, my friends. The only three that are still left talking to me, have pity on me. Don't keep piling on me. For the hand of God has struck me. Why do you persecute me as God does and are not satisfied with my flesh? You're not satisfied that I'm sitting here in this, in this condition. And it's interesting as, as we see him reach this low, then this next Verses really outstanding. <laughs> kind of like all of a sudden we're in a rocket ship taken off going to the, the heights. Because it tells us this in James chapter 5. I mentioned at the beginning when we started the book of Job that, it's a, that it is a historical book. Absolutely. This is not allegory. This is historical. But the, the way it kind of changes in the genre, it moves from history to poetry. As we go through Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, we get into the, what they call poetry just because of the way that it's written. It's still very historical. But Job is also very prophetic. Job is a prophet. James tells us as much in James chapter 5, verse 7, and specifically with the prophecy of the coming of the Messiah, Jesus' coming. James chapter 5, verse Seven says this, therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the earth early and late rains. You too be patient, strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. James is telling us here, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord, the suffering, the things that we deal with in our lives. The Lord is coming. Be patient, endure through that. And then he says, you know, the examples that we have, the prophets. And then he lists in the group of prophets, Job. Now, when we come back to this now in verse 23, oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. Isn't that awesome? What did, we're, we're holding a book, talking about him wishing it was written in a book. That's irony. That with an iron stylus and lead, they were engraved in the rock forever. What words? These words. As for me, I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last, he will take his stand on the earth. Even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh, I shall see God whom I myself shall behold and whom my eyes will see and not another, my heart fades within me. He reaches the bottom, (laughs) the depths. You can't get any lower than where Job is. And from that point, it's like he looks up and he sees. I know that my Redeemer lives. He has the final say. 
I, I just, I, he's called, we've talked about this. He's, he's called out that he wishes that he had an advocate. We talked about the fact that Jesus is our advocate. He wishes that he had someone that could come alongside him. You know, he wishes that he had a mediator. We've talked about that. And he says, now I get it. I know my redeemer lives. Redeemer, the one who, the one who purchased me, that, that idea of the, of the kinsman redeemer, that, that theme is, is throughout the Old Testament. But we see again, Jesus, the ultimate fulfillment of that. The one who purchased us, redeemed us. He's basically saying, I know, I know my redeemer lives and he will vindicate me. He will take his stand on the earth. He's going to speak. And as, guys, his is the only voice that matters. The first voice, the first one, the first word spoken and the last words to be spoken are going to be his. The beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega, the all powerful almighty God. Again, in this, the hope that he had, even in the midst of his suffering, I know I'm going to see God. And this is prophetic because again, we even see this even after Job in the Old Testament, they struggled with, they didn't quite understand this whole idea of resurrection. And I don't know that Job fully understood it, but he's prophesying it's going to happen. I'm going to see him with my own eyes. This isn't just going to be some spiritual thing. This is, this is resurrection going to happen. <laughs> my own eyes will see him, not another. First John chapter three, again, speaks of that, that we're going to, we're going to have that same thing. How great a love the father has bestowed on us that we shall be called children of God. And such we are for this reason. The world does not know us because it did not know him. And again, the world thinks we're crazy. The world calls us lunatics. I don't know if you have seen that just even in the last couple of days, but the ridicule our vice president is getting because he's a born again believer and he's taken a bold stand and he says that that's the main thing in my life. As a matter of fact, I do what God tells me to do. Somebody's saying, oh, God speaks to you. You know, that's, that sounds like a mental issue type of stuff. I mean, just the ridicule. The world doesn't understand. The world is going to mock. The world is going to continue to come against. But, but we know that we're children of God. Beloved, now we are children of God. It has not yet appeared what we will be. We know. John says, we know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. Everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. We know. Just like Job says, I know. My redeemer lives. Guys, we have hope in the midst of any suffering that we're going through, in the midst of any trial that we're going through. And please, and we talked of this several times and the theme just keeps coming back up. We've looked at it over on the weekends too. It just seems like God keeps bringing this back around. Again, 2 Corinthians chapter one, the comfort that we receive. Yes, our sufferings are abundant in Christ Jesus. He told us it's gonna be. But the comfort that we receive from the God of all comfort is more than abundant. It's more than we need. And because we get that, when we come alongside others that are suffering, that are going through the trials, we are given that comfort, not only to comfort ourselves, but so that we can give comfort to those that are suffering. Again, my, my heart goes out to, I can't imagine being one of those parents that got the call today that one of their kids was involved in that shooting today. Pray that the, 
that there are those that can bring along that comfort from the God of all comfort. Never know when we might be called upon to come alongside and, man, I don't want to be like Bill Dad the shoe height. And if you're going through suffering, know that there's hope. Know that it's not, it's not wishful thinking. We have absolute assurance. If you are a born-again believer, all going to be okay. All going to work out. Momentary light affliction is nothing compared to the eternal weight of glory that awaits us. He says, he says this, but then he challenges them. He turns it back on them. If you say, how shall we persecute him? And what pretext for a case against him can we find? Then be afraid of the sword for yourselves. For wrath brings the punishment of the sword so that you may know that there is judgment. Again, Jesus, Jesus said to that, don't judge. Behold, make sure, get the log out of your own eye before you... And then you, can, then you can help. Then you can come alongside in comfort. We've talked about this last couple of weeks in Romans 14 and, and 15. Don't judge one another. Don't, don't bring that alongside. Don't be a stumbling block. But be something that someone, a tool in God's hands that he can use to bring restoration. And there's rewards for that. He's speaking of here, the punishment that would come. And we've talked about that as well as believers, the punishment Jesus took. That's not what we're talking about. But there, is, there are rewards that are given if we will be used by God to bring comfort or lack thereof if we refuse to. Chapter 20, then Zophar, the Namathite, answered, therefore my disquieting thoughts Make me respond. <laughs> Job's calling them out. Even because of my inward agitation, I listen to the reproof which insults me, and the spirit of my understanding makes me answer. <laughs> Job says all of this and says, basically, I know my Redeemer lives. I have hope. I have all of this. But you better be careful, guys. You bring in all of this. And then his response is that, you've probably heard the, state, the saying, you throw a rock into a pack of wolves. The one that yelps the loudest is the one that got hit. Well, Zophar got hit because he brings out the guns ablazing here. Do you know this from, from of old, from the establishment of man on the earth? This, Job, don't you understand this? This goes all the way back to the beginning. That the triumphing of the wicked, again, here we come, with the wicked, is short. And the joy of the godless is momentary. Again, Job is going to bring it out if we get there. I'm going to have to read fast. But in 21, again, he brings it back out again. That's not true all the time, right? I mean, we know that. And it's not true with them. He goes, you go back all the way to the beginning. They were a lot closer to the beginning than we are at this time. They didn't have a whole lot of history, but they had the history of the flood at this point. And God gave, God gave the, the wicked on the earth, what, 120 years? To repent, the flood didn't come right away. From the moment that God said the flood's come and Noah built the ark, 120 years. The patience of God. But again, he's sticking to his story. Again, speaking of the, the, the wicked, though his loftiness reaches the heavens and his head touches the clouds, he perishes forever like his refuse. Nice. <laughs> 
Those who have seen him will say, where is he? He flies away like a dream and they cannot find him. Does anybody else have that? You wake up and you just had a dream and you're like, oh man, that was crazy. That was weird. I can't wait to tell Christina by the time I have coffee in my hand in the morning, I totally forgot. Gone. Totally gone. Anyway, I don't know why I said that. That's why vision goes by like fast. Even like a vision of the night, he is chased away. The eye which saw him sees him no longer and his place no longer beholds him. His sons favor the poor and his hands give back his wealth. His bones are full of his youthful vigor, but he lies down with him in the dust. Basically, he's saying the wicked die when they still have a whole lot of life in front of them. Though though evil is sweet in his mouth and he hides it under his tongue, again, keeping it secret, you won't admit it, you won't confess it. Though he desires it and it will not let it go, but holds it in his mouth. Yet his, yet his food in his stomach is changed to the venom of cobras within him. He swallows riches, but will vomit them up. God will expel them from his belly. He sucks the poison of cobras and vipers' tongues slay him. Okay, got a future as a Hallmark card writer, I think. He does not look at the streams, the rivers flowing with milk, with honey and curds. He returns what he has attained and cannot swallow it as the riches of his trading. He cannot even enjoy them. He can't even enjoy what he has. And again, here we go. For he has oppressed and forsaken the poor and has seized a house which he has not built. Again, he's using this third person language, but we know what he's saying. He's accusing Job of all of these things. And now he's trying to even get specific. Job, all of the riches that you had, you must have gotten those by taking advantage of other people because God certainly didn't bless you with that because of the sin in your life. That's the underlying statement here. Chapter 29, we read this when we were back at the beginning again, speaking of Job. It tells us, Job was saying this here in verse 12, because I delivered the poor who cried out for help and the orphan who had no helper. The blessing of the one ready to perish came upon me and I made the widow's heart sing for joy. Those that were struggling, those that were suffering, I went out of my way to help them. I put on righteousness and it clothed me. My my justice was like a robe and a turban. I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I went out of my way to help those that needed help. I was father to the needy and I investigated the case, which I did not know. I broke the jaws of the wicked and snatched the prey from their teeth. I would defend the defenseless. I would help the helpless. That's what Job did. And here he's being called out and saying, Zophar is accusing him of getting his riches and his wealth by taking advantage of other people. The one thing I'll say about Zophar in this, at least he's got the guts to say it to his face. A lot of people do that type of stuff behind people's back, and that's obviously a lot worse. But again, (laughs) the response, and isn't isn't that typical? And again, I'd like to say it's never that way about me, but when somebody says something about me and coming at, you know, the fangs that come right back, lashing back, Because he knew no quiet within him, he does not retain anything he desires. Nothing remains for him to devour. Therefore, his prosperity does not endure. 
In the fullness of his plenty, he will be cramped. The hand of, ev- of everyone who suffers will come against him. When he fills his belly, God will send his fierce anger on him and will rain it on him while he is eating. He may flee from the iron weapon, but the bronze bow will pierce him. You can run if you want to, Job, but the arrow is going to get you. It is drawn forth and it comes out of, out of his back, even when the glittering point from his gall, terrors come upon him. I mean, he's being awful graphic. Complete darkness is held in reserve for his treasures. An unfeigned fire will devour him. It will consume the survivor in his tent. The heavens will reveal his iniquity and the earth will rise up against him. The increase of his house will depart. His possessions will flow away in the day of his anger. This is the wicked man's portion from God, even the heritage decreed to him by God. And again, here it is. This is why, Job, and it's coming, coming again. Let's get through quickly again Job's response. Then Job answered, listen carefully to my speech and let this be your way of consolation. Bear with me that I speak. Then afterward, after I have spoken, you may mock. He knows it's going to happen. Just listen to me. Just be quiet. Let me get it all out. Then afterwards, go ahead and mock on. As for me, is my complaint to man? I'm not, even, I'm not bringing my complaint to you. I am bringing it straight, straight to the Lord. And why should I not be impatient? Look at me and be astonished. Put your hand over your mouth. Even when I remember, I am not disturbed and horror takes hold of my flesh. Why do the wicked still live, continue on also and become very powerful? If what you're saying is true, how come there's examples everywhere where the wicked are still alive? Their descendants, their descendants are, are established with them in their sight and their offspring before their eyes. Their houses are safe from fear and the rod of God is not on them yet. His ox, his ox mates without fail, his cow calves and does not abort. They send forth their little ones like the flock and their children skip about going on like no, no problem. They sing to the timbrel and harp and rejoice at the sound of the flute. They spend their days in prosperity and suddenly they go to Sheol. Remember in Psalm 73, we've talked about that a few times. The same, the same thing. It looks like, hey, the wicked, they just get away with everything. And, but and, until I went to the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. Job understands their end, but he's saying we see it everywhere. The wicked, get, their life is going on, and then suddenly, boom, they die, yes. And then they go to Sheol, yes, punishment, yes. But it's sudden. They don't go through what I'm going through, not all of them anyway. They say to God, even, even their, by their own lips, they say, depart from us. We do not even desire the knowledge of your ways. Who is the Almighty that we should serve him? And what would we would gain if we entreat him? Behold, their prosperity is in their hand. The counsel of the wicked is far from me. They, they don't want anything to do with God. They're open about it, yet they still, are, they still prosper, some of them. There's examples all over. And we see that today too, don't we? I mean, we see it all over. Those that, that, that prosper and have, have all of this wealth and, and seem to live long lives, we know that unless they repent and turn, their eternity will be horrific, but their lives now. And, and that's the point that Job's making. Again, it's not so many, but we, we, we think that this doesn't still exist, but it's everywhere still, even within the quote unquote church, that if you're suffering, it's because 
because of this. God's punishing you, sin in your life, deal with it because only wicked people suffer. Obviously not true. How often is the lamp of the wicked put out or does their calamity fall on them? Does God apportion destruction in his anger? Are they as straw before the wind and like chaff which the storm carries away? You say God stores away a man's iniquity for his son. Let God repay him so that he may know it. You're saying that God passes this on down to the sons, but let God repay the one directly. And we know God later on in his word says that that's the way it's handled. Let his own eyes see his decay and let him drink of the wrath of the Almighty. For what does he care for his household after him when the number of his months is cut off? Can anyone teach God knowledge in that he judges those on high? One dies in full strength, being wholly at ease and satisfied. His sides are filled out with fat and his marrow of his bones is moist. Again, he's fat, he's enjoying life. While other dies bitter in soul, never tasting anything good. Then there's another who dies right next to him, never enjoyed any of that. Together they lie down in the dust and worms cover them. Behold, I know your thoughts. I know what you guys are thinking. I already know. And the plans by which you, wrong, you would wrong me. For you say, where is the house of the nobleman? And where is the tent and the dwelling place of the wicked? Have you asked the wayfaring man? Have you, have you talked to people who walk all over and go all over the world and see all of this? Because it's everywhere. It's in front of everybody. And do you not recognize their witness? For the wicked is reserved for the day of calamity. They will be led forth at, at the day of fury, who will confront him with his actions and who will repay him for what he has done? While he is carried to the grave, men will keep watch over his tomb. The clods of the valley will gently cover him. Moreover, all men will follow after him while countless ones go on before him. How then will you vainly comfort me? For your answers remain full of falsehood. And Job brings back the same response that he has numerous times. There's example after example after example of this. Again, we see this continuing around. And my challenge to us again, I guess is twofold. If you're, if you're suffering, if you're going through difficulty, if you're going through trial, trust in the Lord. We have hope. We know that our Redeemer lives. He made a promise. He's coming back for us. And we, because we have that hope, we, know, we, can, we, we, we still mourn, we still suffer, we go, still go through those things, but we know that it's temporary. And we know that we're not alone. For those of us who know those that are going through those, we need to, we need to come alongside with words of comfort, gently encouraging, knowing that our words can, can crush. Knowing that words are, are very, very powerful. Great truth though, right? Our Redeemer lives. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, again, we thank you for the fact that we know that our Redeemer lived. Death could not hold you. The grave had no power over you. And because of that, now it has no power over us. We thank you for the gift of eternal life. And we know that because of that, we know that we know that we know that we will see you one day. We will stand in your very presence. And as John tells us, we don't understand it all. Just like Job, we look through this dimly, but we'll see it fully one day. We're going to see you as you are. What a day. 
Lord, I pray for comfort for those who are suffering now. And again, we lift up those in, in Florida. And Lord, not just there. There's people suffering around the world. Lord, would you make yourself very real to them? Lord, use your body, the church, in times like this. Have your way, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.